This is Theology Refresh. We're helping you, pastors and Christian leaders, to be sharp on important doctrines and biblical truths, to make those useful in daily ministry. And we're talking eldership in this episode with Kevin DeYoung. Kevin, thank you for joining us. Great to be here. Kevin, for pastors, elders, other Christian leaders, where would you want them to have their thinking go when they think about the doctrine of eldership mm-hmm. in the church and mm-hmm. what the New Testament has to teach? The image that first comes to my mind and helps me stay grounded in pastoral ministry is to think of a shepherd. Uh, pastors may remember from seminary days gone by, different words for eldership in the New Testament, which uh, I think are overlapping words, really interchangeable words, elder, presbyteroi, and an older man. That that sort of has its, its genesis in the Old Testament that the elders of Israel were the men, the kind of chiefs, and then the word for overseer, episkopos, one who has authority and rules and governs, and then this word for shepherding, poimen in the Greek. And you, you find all of them interchanging, especially in Acts 20. Uh, so any of those images, but, but what keeps me grounded is think of a shepherd. Okay, so this, these are the men who have charge of the flock of God underneath the great shepherd, Jesus Christ, to make sure they're feeding on what is good, to make sure they're not biting each other's little legs, to make sure that wolves are not coming in to, to devour them or destroy them, to make sure that they're not getting lost, uh, to find the ones that are struggling, to carry them. All of that I think of as eldering, shepherding ministry. It's God's way of caring for the flock through Jesus and through those that he appoints under his care to have oversight of this body. So I, I think of uh, myself, our pastors, our eight elders that we have at, at our church. We're trying to take care of these sheep, which requires at times a gentle use of authority, but requires lots of patience and gentleness to try to see to it that they are well-fed and well-protected. That's what elders do. According to New Testament uh, terminology, an elder is a pastor, is a bishop slash right. overseer. Right. And that's a, an official position that's appointed in the church. Uh, we talk about these elders as shepherds. And in what sense is the elder also part of the flock? Yeah, certainly. You think of uh, Jesus, you know, when he sends out the disciples on kind of a short-term mission trip, and they come back, and we saw Satan fall like lightning, and they're so excited of all the things and all the ministry that they had done, and then Jesus says, I want you to especially rejoice in this, that your name is written in the book of life. So we ought always, and I think I'm just stealing this from, from Pastor John, but you know, we ought always to be more excited to be sheep, and that's the first privilege, even more than being a shepherd. So we are, first of all, all worshiping Christ, and we're all following his lead. But then, because God is a God of order, and he establishes these relationships between husbands and wives and parents and children and governing authorities and citizens, and also between a congregation and her elders, there is this relationship, and it's one of authority at times, but also leadership and also sacrifice. And sometimes I think we get the mistaken notion just especially in the West with our democratic sensibilities, small d there, that uh, the elders really are, they represent 
constituencies in the church. And so in some churches, it's, well, we need, we need a younger guy, we need this kind of guy, we need someone to represent the, the homeschoolers and the public schoolers, and we need the different representatives. And they are representatives, but they're representatives of Christ. So what, what we're looking for in elders are not representatives of different interest groups in the church, but those who will bring to bear the interests of Christ. So they are his representatives. They have his authority under his leadership and direction. There is that authority there bound up with the eldership and the teaching authority bound up with Jesus and mediating his. And there are many anti-authoritarian sentiments these days. Yes. And so I'm sure you hear at times people wanting to mute that authority, level out that authority. Let's just all be no offices, no titles. Let's all be in the church together. How, how do you respond to, to someone who has a kind of an anti-eldership bend? Yeah. Uh, there's a number of ways. I'd say, first of all, we have to be biblical. Mm-hmm. And the Bible, you see in Philippians 1, and you see so many other places, elders and deacons, elders and deacons. So there are these offices given to us by Christ I would also want to challenge the person or anyone who's watching this, listening to this, that in Ephesians 4, we see this is one of the gifts of Christ, that he ascended to heaven, that he might give gifts to the church. And the gift is the pastor shepherd, the, the elder teacher. So if you say, I, I don't want that, I don't, I don't need that in my church, you're saying, you don't want to receive one of the blood-bought spirit-given, Christ-bestowed gifts that he gives to his church. This is part of what Christ you know, won for us in the sense to heaven to give to us. And then there's just the practical consideration that the only thing worse than a dictatorship is anarchy. It's, it's chaos when there's no established authority. And then the last thing I would say to challenge that anti-authoritarian streak is to say, realize that with this responsibility comes a lot of accountability for the elders that the the verse in Hebrews 13 you know not only does Hebrews 13 say that you should respect your elders and obey them but it says and they will have to give account for the care of your souls so so this is a huge responsibility so it's not elders dictators listen to them it's these men have been entrusted with the care of souls, and they will have to give an account before God Almighty. And so make their service joyful uh, for your sake and for theirs. And those of us who are this sort of shepherd need to realize it is a position of privilege and of, of great accountability before God for these people under our watch. Many of our listeners are probably in official positions of leadership, whether it's called elder right. or pastor or whatever the, the role in their church or ministry. Maybe also a good number of our listeners are aspiring leaders. They're not in official positions of leadership. What kind of counsel would you give a young guy or middle-aged guy or or older guy who aspires to that kind of leadership? It's a good thing. We know that from 1 Timothy 3. If you aspire to to be an overseer, you you desire a good thing. So it's it's possible... uh, a young man is, is, or older man is lurching after that for a sense of vanity and pride, but, but not necessarily. It's, it's a good thing that you want to serve in this way. Um, I, would, I would tell those people to be patient, to not only put yourself forward in a way, there, there's a place to do that, hey, I'm interested in this, but to see 
what the body of Christ does. So I always tell pastors in particular, the most important pastoral call is the objective external call of the church. You can say, I'm called to preach and I'm called to do this. But it, it's the church body sort of pushing up and, and bubbling up underneath you to say, hey, that, that Bible study you did was, was really good. I was really helped. I was really impressed the way you talked to that non-Christian. Uh, I've really been encouraged to see what's going on in your family. And that sort of encouragement and uh, obvious fruitfulness bubbles up. So I, I want men to be patient. And then I want them to take advantage of lots of opportunities. Uh, if you're saying I want to be a pastor or an elder and what you have in your mind is I'm going to preach, well, that's good. That's one way to do it. Or I'm going to speak at a conference or something. <laughs> okay. But if you're really called to it and drawn to it, there should be an excitement. I could do the five-year-old catechism class. That's what I did when I was in seminary. I taught a five-year-old catechism class on the Westminster Confession. And Am I still doing that? No, that wasn't what I was going to do my whole life, but I was glad to do that. When I was in college, I, I volunteered for boys' brigade and teaching second graders. So there ought to be this sense, not only do I get a thrill at the thought of teaching and preaching, but kids and old people and uh, some counseling, that there's a heart to bring the Word of God to bear on all sorts of lives. And, and, and you have a way to do it that's not just... The trumpet blast, but also, also the, the gentle embrace. That a pastor needs to be able to do all those kinds of things. And I'd want to see that in a man aspiring for this. One thing that's been implicit this whole time is elders, plural. Yeah. Maybe we should make explicit that you and I have team in mind, a plurality yes. of elders. You're, not, you're the senior pastor, but you're not the only elder at right. your church. Could you just speak right. briefly on the importance of doing this as a team? I think you see everywhere in scripture appoint elders in every town as I have commanded you that this is a shared responsibility and I can't tell you how unbelievably it's biblical but it's also wise and has saved me from so much so even if you're a solo pastor and you're in a small church and you're the only person on staff you, you want to have elders maybe you're a church planter but that's the goal this is it, it always has to be a shared ministry because we have different gifts. There, there, are, there are things that some men on our elder board, I just marvel at week after week, they go visit a shut-in and just love to do that where that wouldn't be my bread and butter. Or they are so good at kind of challenging people and getting in their face in a good way. And I have just seen over the years of the wisdom is so much greater with the collective body. Okay, this guy is always leaning towards, we gotta be a little nicer. This guy's leaning towards, we, we got to really give it to them. And when you all listen to each other, God keeps us from a lot of mistakes. And it's also the way he means to lead. We got one great shepherd and then a lot of under shepherds. One thing as we close here, uh, you gave some counsel for young guys aspiring to leadership, not in official positions yet. How about guys listening to this or ladies who are in church leadership positions of whatever sort those are, whether it's official eldership positions or not, any word of counsel or advice for them? For anyone in leading in some right. way, but not Being an elder. Being looked to as a leader in the church or yeah. parachurch ministry. Yeah. Well, the, we, we were just talking before D.A. Carson's famous line that the remarkable thing about eldership is how unremarkable the qualifications really are in Titus and in First Timothy. 
with the exception mainly of being apt to teach, they're just sort of the virtues that any Christian ought to have. And, and really, an elder is someone who is exemplary. And in the same way, you're leading a women's Bible study, you're leading uh, your small group, you're discipling a student. The same things apply that the most important thing is not your giftedness, but your maturity. And we, we gravitate towards people. you got gifts, and you're really, really smart, and you read a lot of stuff. But it's maturity and it's fruitfulness. And not just fruitfulness is your ministry growing, but your fruitfulness. Do people pluck down from your life, and they take a bite of it, and it's gentleness. It's kindness. It's self-control. That line from... Uh, Robert Murray McShane, what, what my people need from me most is my own personal holiness. So anyone out there, whatever you're leading, from the thing that seems the biggest, grandest, to the tiniest little ministry, what your people need from you is to see a life marked by holiness, increasing glory and increasing transformation into the likeness of Christ. Because whatever else we do and all the ways that we're going to mess up, uh, if they can see a consistent life, a repentant life, an increasingly holy life, Peter says that will be fruitful. Good. Would you pray that for our listeners? Father in heaven, thank you for what you have called us to, whether it is preaching 45 Sundays a year or it is getting the nursery sign up filled or it is bringing meals to shut-ins. We thank you for the ways that you have called us to serve. We pray that we would do it humbly. We would do it confidently. We would do it in the name of Christ. In particular, for all those who are your pastors, your elders, your shepherds, oh Lord, give to these men new joy in their work, new depth of insight in their studies, and pray that you would minister, first of all, to our souls to know that we are the sheep of your pasture and you take care of us and help us to attend to that relationship first. For without knowing you as our good shepherd, we won't be much of a pastor to anyone else. We pray in Jesus' name.